I was waiting for the cool video. I'm not late either, am I? Okay. Well, I did want to say a word of thanks to those who put that uh, video together. Uh, Pastor Corb did a lot of work. Uh, Wheeland Dave Co. people, Kevin Shaw, and uh, the Mayotte people and others. But there was one glaring error in it, and I hope you caught that. Um, there was a bald preacher in the chapel. And Pastor Doug is not bald. <laughs> no, Pastor Ben is not bald. And I'm not totally bald. And so I just wanted you to know that that was a real error and that they should have... I mean, they can do all these great things with graphics and they couldn't give me a head of hair. I mean, I'm, I'm offended. In fact, the, the guy looks more like Todd Glute, our architect, and I think that's his way of trying to take over the church, so... But other than that, I thought it was excellent, and I really appreciate the hard work that has been done. You know, you talk about following Jesus Christ as a disciple. You say, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. I want to do whatever you tell me to do. I want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. I've never been at a church service where testimonies have been given, at least I can't recall, or at a camp meeting where people are talking about dedication, where someone has not quoted from Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You know it, don't you? That's the way to follow the Lord. And as I was thinking about that, I, I thought... Let's go to Proverbs 3 and see everything that's kind of behind that and everything that flows from that. So I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 3 so that we might understand what it is to really follow God in this area of discipleship. Now you probably know where the sermon is going, don't you? Start of a campaign, the pastor's going to talk about giving. But I want you to see the context of it, which I think is so rich and so amazing. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Right away, we understand this is the advice coming from a father. Now, who's writing the book of Proverbs? Solomon, right? King Solomon. But I can't read the book of Proverbs without thinking, maybe these are the words that his dad gave to him, and who is Solomon's dad? King David. So I read Proverbs sometimes imagining David sitting down in the palace and saying, Son, let me give you some advice about life. And later on, Solomon would have given this advice to his sons, Jeroboam, Rehoboam. My son, don't forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart because Christianity, faith, Really following God is an issue of the heart, not of the outward life. It affects the outward life, but it starts here. You can obey some commands outwardly and be a rebel inwardly, right? So he says, I want you to follow and keep these commands in your heart. David knows if they're in your heart, they'll be in your life. These commands, verse 2, are going to prolong your life many years, and they will bring you prosperity. Now, that's a word we're going to have to define in a few minutes, prosperity. But let me give you a key 
and this is an important key. The Bible is written in at least six or seven different literary styles, right? Called genres. There is the style of the law, kind of of the treaty or of the, of the legal reports. You'll find that often in uh, the books of Moses. You've got the genre of narrative or story, right? You've got the genre of letter. Most of Paul's writings are letters written to churches or letters written to people. You've got the genre of the apocalyptic, the book of the Revelation with its images, its visions. And then you've got a genre called poetry. These writing styles influence the text of Scripture and the way we are to understand the message. It's the vehicle that the truth comes to us in, and we must not ignore the vehicle. Some of us sometimes uh, are given to crass literalism, and we end up misinterpreting passages because of it. So just keep that in mind as we come to this word prosperity later on in the text. But these commands are going to prosper you, no doubt about that. Verse 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Let me give you two different words, devotion and duty. Love is devotion from the heart, and duty is the obedient, faithful life. Let those two things never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. There's the heart again. And if these things are in your heart, then, verse 4, you'll win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Before God, there will be favor, and before man, there will be a good reputation. God will be pleased with your ways, and you will impact your generation with the truth of God. Wow! What an introduction. How can I do that? Answer, trust the Lord with all of your heart. Here it is. Trust the Lord with all of your heart. That's a command, isn't it? It's a command to trust God. It's not our normal inclination. In fact, right away it says, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, which is what we normally do. So if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is where it starts. Trust God. The word trust actually means to put your life in his hands. To wholeheartedly give him control of every facet of your life. Trust means you're not going to rely upon your own wisdom, cleverness, logic. You're going to rely on God's divine revelation, his truth which surpasses human reason. And notice, you're not trusting just in anyone. Who are you trusting in? The Lord. When you have all capitals, that refers to Yahweh. Or we put it in our Anglo-Saxon uh, language, Jehovah. Now, the first time the name Jehovah is given to his people is Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. It's in the context of creation. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were made, when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. 
So the whole name Yahweh, Jehovah, is in the context of the one who made everything. Brought things into existence out of nothing. That's amazing power. Unsurpassed wisdom and creativity. That's the one you are to trust. By the way, the name Yahweh speaks of God's faithfulness and his covenant to his people. Speaks about tender mercy and love, all the attributes of God. You're not trusting a human being. You're trusting the maker of heaven and earth. That's a command. Now, there's a process. The process begins in verse 6. This is how you do it. In all your ways, in every situation of life, acknowledge him. In prayer, bring your situation to him. And he will either make your path straight or direct your paths. There's a bit of a variance there in the, in the text. But it means the same thing. He's going to iron out your life. He's going to give you a straight path to follow. He will direct your every step. That's the process. I like the way the New Living Translation has it. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Isn't that a great promise? So, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm not going to lean on my own wisdom. You're my God. I want to follow you. So here's a situation in my life. I bring it to the throne of grace. I'm seeking your will. Tell me which path to take. And the Bible says that he's going to make our our path straight. He's going to tell us where to go, what to do. And there couldn't be a better plan because he's God. And he knows what's best. Now there's another warning in verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Again, the New Living has a, a great translation here. The warning, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. <laughs> Who's writing this? Solomon. Who was the wisest man that ever lived? Solomon. When Solomon ascended the throne, he didn't ask God for power and authority and riches. He said, Lord, give me wisdom. And God was so pleased with that. 1 Kings 3.12, the Lord says, I will do exactly what you ask, Solomon. I'm going to give you a wise and discerning heart, and you'll be wiser than anyone who's come before and anyone who follows after. And the wisest man who ever lived said, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. It's like Warren Buffett saying, don't be impressed with money. And notice, there's a blessing. Verse 8. If you do this, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Healing to the body and blessing to the bones. That even just trips off the tongue, doesn't it? You say, this is great. I've really wanted this for a long time. If I simply obey the commands of God and trust him, I will be healthy and wealthy. I have a guarantee. Poetry. You don't believe in crass literalism, do you? Do you read the Bible in the New Testament where it says, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and you say, ah, Jesus is a sheep with white wool. You can touch him and feel the wool. You say, no, that's ridiculous. We don't think of it that way. Our body or our mind instantly understands it's a metaphor. And so then applies it 
interprets it and says Jesus is like a lamb who is sacrificed for sin. Right? No problem with that. Now we're in a genre of poetry. This is not a guarantee that if you walk with God, you will be healthy. It is the way to express blessing. The guarantee is this. You obey God, you will be blessed. That's the guarantee. Yesterday we had a funeral for one of the greatest saints that has ever lived at South Church. And his name is Dick Ash. I don't mean to suggest that Dick was perfect, but Dick was a godly man. And in his godliness, he, if, he affected so many people. He impacted his, his generation. There was an influence for Christ that affected those who worked for him, those he worked with. But Dick battled Parkinson's and cancer. And it wasn't because of his sin. It was because that was the path God took him down. You say, well, this verse is not true. No, no, no. Understand poetry. The error of the health and wealth theology is that it does not understand the whole analogy of Scripture. And they rip things out of their context, and they don't understand that some things are written in a genre symbolically to show us, yes, there is blessing, but it may not be physical blessing. Sometimes it is. And I really think the godly, generally speaking, have more physical blessing than the ungodly because they avoid all kinds of horrible things that destroy the body. But it's not a guarantee. Does that make sense? So you say, okay, I want to obey this command. I want to trust Jehovah because there's no one else like him. And I don't want to lean on my own logic. I don't want to be impressed with my own wisdom. I want to fear God. And follow God. I want to bring everything in my life to Him, and I know He's going to direct my path, and I know that He will bless me. Are you with me? You agree? Now you know where I'm going, so you're afraid to say that you agree. This is all a setup, I can see it. You simply have to trust the Lord that where He tells you to go and what He tells you to do is the very best thing for you. That's what these verses are telling us. You simply have to trust the Lord that he knows what's best and what he tells you to do is best. So, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go. I'm ready for this thing called discipleship. What do you want me to do, Lord? I've given my all to you. I've thrown my stick in the fire. I've stood up before the congregation and said I'm going to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. What do you want me to do? And here's what God says. Honor me with your wealth. (laughs) And with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That's verse 9 and 10. The very first thing he says is, honor me with your wealth. And I, I, I think I can hear someone say, Lord, <laughs> I'm all ready to follow you, but why don't we do something spiritual first? You know, let's talk about winning people to Christ. Let's, let's talking, talk about going to church. Let's, let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about Bible study. That's real discipleship, Lord. I'm not so sure I like what you're telling me to do. It reminds me of the Old Testament story of Nahum. Remember the commander who was very effective in the, uh, in the region of Aram? And Nahum had leprosy. 
He was sent to Israel because it was said that there's someone in Israel who can heal you. It's the prophet Elijah. And so Nahum, this powerful commander, comes knocking on the door with a letter from his king and comes to Elijah and says, I've got leprosy, I need to be healed. Elijah doesn't even answer the door. He just says, Nahum, go dip yourself in the Jordan River. And what does Nahum say? you got to be kidding. Do you know who I am? And there's all kinds of rivers back home far cleaner than the Jordan, which is true. And so he gets all angry and he starts going home. His servant says, you know, um, Master, if he had asked you to do something difficult, would you have done it to be healed of leprosy? And Nahum says, yeah. In fact, Nahum had a bunch of money to give him. He didn't want the money. Would you have done something great to be healed? Sure. Then why don't you do something stupid to be healed? Something humbling. Something, why not just dip in the water and be clean? And Naaman comes back and does it. Now this sounds about like the same thing. The Lord says, you really want to follow me? Are you on target? Are you eager? Yeah, here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to honor me with your wealth. (laughs) And we back off and say, Lord, if you would ask something great, like give my life for the cause of Christ, I would have done it. But not my pocketbook. And that's where discipleship really gets practical, where the rubber meets the road. Notice there's a command here. The command is, honor me, honor the Lord, Jehovah, with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The word honor means to show respect. It's a Hebrew word that means to give admiration to someone. It means that you give that person top priority first place when we honor someone. Are you a golfer? You know what it is if you win the last hole and you go to the next tee? You have honors. I've heard about it, rarely experience it, but that's what happens. If you're driving along in a, a crowded traffic jam... And inevitably, you're behind some minivan with three stickers that says, I have an honor student. And they're really proud of you. You ever see that before? In fact, sometimes the stickers are holding the car together. And I have an honor student, you know, who's just come out of the county jail or whatever it is. But I've, they're all proud about their honor student. It means the student is at the top of the class. They've achieved some significance in the realm of education. Or you go to a banquet that's honoring someone. It's because of some special achievement. They're recognized for surpassing all the others in character. And you come to pay respect. That's what the word honor means. And it's pretty much the same in Hebrew, English, and in our Bibles. We are to put God first. He is to be above everyone else. He's the top of the class. We are to see the special achievement, the surpassing greatness of his character. And he comes first. Did you notice the commands? Trust the Lord, verse 5. Fear the Lord, verse 7. Honor the Lord, verse 9. This is at the heart of discipleship. So I'm going to pay respect to God first. He is number one. And we are honoring the Lord. What does the text say? Honor the Lord with your what? Your wealth. Your wealth? Does it belong to you? 
That's what the text says. Crass literalism would stop right now and say, I don't need to go anywhere else. Everything I own belongs to me. But even a cursory reading of Scripture shows that everything you have doesn't belong to you. Well, why does God say that there? Look at Psalm 24, verse 1. We'll we'll have it on the screen for you, but Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What does that mean? He owns everything in the world. Not just the immaterial objects, but living objects. And all who live in the world, he owns. Now, why does God own it all? Simply because, verse 2, he made it all. One of the greatest errors in the argument for pro-choice in the whole abortion debate, you'll hear people say, I believe a woman should have a choice to do what she wants to do with her own body. You know what the error of that argument is? Her body is not hers, nor the life within her womb. You belong to God. Now, take God out of the equation, and abortion sounds very logical. That's leaning on your own understanding. But you go to divine revelation, and it says, no, the whole world belongs to God, everything in it and everyone who populates it. This world, this earth, is the theater of the universe. And in this place, God has made people to dwell. And this place, God has sent his Son to redeem people This is where God shows his mercy and his truth and his love and his grace, and he owns it all. 1 Corinthians says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. By the way, believers are twice owned. We're owned by right of creation, and we're owned by right of redemption, and you could even add a third one. We're owned by God by right of habitation because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are not our own. So our wealth is something that God has given to us to manage. And one day, he will ask us to report and how well we've done. Read Matthew 25. So it's called your wealth because you're responsible for this part of God's stuff. And one day, he's going to come and say, how well did you do with my stuff? Did you double it? Did you at least get interest? Did you improve it? Maintaining the status quo is not sufficient. God wants you to do something with your life, the days you have on planet Earth. God wants you to do something with the spiritual gift, the ability he's given you that is better than the ability of others. God wants you to do something with the resources he's put in your hands. None of that is yours. It's his, but you're responsible. So he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. That's the command. By the way, God is a God of honor. According to Psalm 104, verse 1, he is clothed with honor and majesty. Psalm 98, 6, or Psalm uh, 96, 6 says, honor and majesty are before him. When you put that all together, it says that honor is the coat that God wears and the place where he dwells. And now he asks us, his creation, to honor him. Lord, I'll do that by winning souls. That's good, but there's something else. 
I'll do that by reading the Bible. I'll do that by praying. I'll do that by attending church. You know, those are good things, but he starts here. I don't like that. Well, it's dipping in your muddy Jordan to prove you really believe God is God and you're really trusting him. I love the song the choir sang earlier today. One of my favorites, God and God alone. All these things we call our own are God's and God's alone. Now, there is a process, he mentions in verse 9. Just like in the other verse, there's a command and there's a process. The process is, honor me with the first fruits of all your crops. 20 times the Bible talks about the first fruits. That means take it off the top. You say, Lord, I'd love to give, but when I come to the end of the month, I don't have anything left. God says, that's because you give to me first, and I will bless the rest. You say, Pastor, I'd love to, but I, I see a way out. <laughs> um, I'm not a farmer. And verse 8 says, that you have to give the first fruits of all your crops. I'd love to, but I'm not a farmer. I'm off the hook. Poetry. <laughs> yeah, what it means is what God has blessed you with. If you're a farmer, it's crops. If you're working, you get a paycheck, it's the paycheck. Whatever God blesses you with, the resources he's put in your hands, that's what you're to give to him from off the top. When you prioritize giving, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. He brings blessing to everything that follows. And there is a blessing here. There's a command, there's a process, and there's a blessing. Verse 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Poetry. There aren't many Baptists who have vats. And so you read this verse and you say, well, it's not for me. But we're quick to spiritualize the blessings, aren't we? Well, I know it's talking about barns and vats, but I'll translate to that to mean if I give to the Lord, I will be materially rich. Verse 8 talked about the physical body being healthy. Now we're talking about material benefits. If I give to the Lord, he will make me wealthy. No. He's promised to bless you. And the problem, again, with a health and wealth theology is that they rip things out of context and they don't see the whole uh, analogy of Scripture. Some of the greatest saints are some of the poorest saints who have the greatest blessings in their life. What are the blessings that God gives that aren't material? Friends? Forgiveness? His presence, his power, eternal life. Yeah, when it comes time to die, and you will die, <laughs> all the wealth that you've accumulated means absolutely nothing because the Bible says you came into this world naked and you're going out naked. Did you know that everything is going to be repossessed? But if you have the blessings that come from honoring God, those will never be taken away from you. It's the prosperity of divine blessing 
More blessed to give, Jesus said, than it is to receive. Sometimes it's material blessings. Sometimes it's physical health. But it goes beyond that. It's deeper. It's fuller. It's more lasting. Those are temporary. His blessings are eternal. And so, the summary of it all is this. Trust God with all of your heart. And honor God with all of your wealth. That's pretty simple. And that's pretty hard. But it's the path to blessing. By the way, if you're angry with me now, don't be angry with me. This comes from God. I wouldn't be faithful if I didn't tell it to you. Honestly, I don't need your money. I don't. God doesn't need your money. Why are you doing this campaign? Why are you always asking for money then? Why do you always take an offering? It's not because God needs it. You need to give. Did you know that? You need to give. Because trusting God with all of your heart starts with honoring him with all your wealth. And God has promised to bless in such rich ways. Please don't get caught up with... The fact that the church is always asking for money, that's not true here at South. But we want to be faithful. And I don't want to withhold something from you that will be the greatest blessing that you have ever experienced. God is generous, and if you're going to be godly, you've got to be generous. And when you begin to be generous, you're more like God than perhaps in any other way. And the blessings will come. I guarantee, no, God guarantees it. The blessings will come. And when you're blessed of God, then you have something to bless others with, right? Now, if you don't believe what I say, if you think this is just all an angle, if you think this is all just a setup to, give you, to get you to give money for the campaign, I'm sorry, there's nothing else I can say. But honestly, from my heart, this is so we will be blessed as a church and you will be blessed as an individual because this is what discipleship is all about. And then we can impact others. I love the story of Berlin, right after World War II. Remember the city of Berlin was divided? East side was communist, west side was free. Some people on the east side of Berlin, the communist side, got together a truckload of garbage, and they drove across the border and dumped it on the west side and came back, laughing to themselves. We're giving them all our garbage. Now, did the West Side retaliate? No. They got together a truckload of canned goods, of milk, and of bread. They drove these goods over to the East Side and stacked them neatly, didn't dump them, stacked them neatly on the, on the East Side, and they left this message. Each can only give from what he possesses. <laughs> I love that, don't you? You know, any old sinner can curse and be critical and be stingy. But it takes the grace of God to give something greater. And that's what God has blessed us with, the message of the gospel and joy and peace and a Lord who guides our every step. In this campaign, there are three cards that are going to be really important. There's the faith promise card. 
Then there is the card that you need to fill out as far as going to one of the home meetings. And then the third card is a prayer card. There are some prayer cards out on the table in the concourse area. I encourage you to pick one up because, after all, we've read in Proverbs 3, we must acknowledge him in everything so that he will direct our steps. There's a prayer team that's put together some special prayer times and also incorporating some of our normal times of prayer to focus on bringing this whole matter before the Lord. But I encourage you to take one of these cards and make it a special matter of prayer. The bottom line is this. Giving is not God's way of raising money. Giving is God's way of raising his kids. He doesn't need our money, but we need to be dependent. We need to give and show that we trust him with all of our heart. Let's pray. Lord, as we kick off this campaign, it is our prayer that you will be glorified in all that is accomplished. We're not building a building for the sake of expanding our facilities. Lord, we're building a building so that we might have the opportunity to reach out to more and more people. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are blessing And we ask that we will faithfully honor you with all we possess and daily trust you with all of our heart. Let us not lean upon our own logic and think that our ways are better than yours. Lord, we commit ourselves to divine truth and we expect, based on your promise that never fails, you will bless us beyond comprehension. And for that, we praise, you, uh, we praise you already. In Jesus' name, amen.